Hello and welcome to On The Ball, the podcast that would be furiously cancelling its weekly Thursday night plans if it had any. We're up to episode 98 now and I'm Steve Sanders, aka at NCFC Numbers on Twitter, sitting in for Michael Bailey this week, who, uh, like only Queen Elizabeth II that I can think of, is using his birthday in 2022 as an excuse to celebrate a four-day weekend. Um, and very well deserved it is too, I might add. Um, so that meant that he was not at uh, St Mary's on Friday, which turned into what um, you might call a routine Premier League defeat for Norwich City, as the Saints sparkled and the Canaries collapsed. Um, so we'll be reeling off and debating all the original questions that no other podcast is asking, like, like why are Norwich City so bad? Would it help to have more than one fit striker? Can we blame it all on the recruitment? How do you solve a problem like Billy Gilmore? And can we still somehow plot a way out of this. Um, but while we might be scraping the barrel for original content, the cream has at least risen to the top as far as our panel goes. And uh, joining me today, or I should say tonight really, our um, former Norwich City head of content, lover of Brandon Williams and hater of kickoffs that make him stay up late on weeknights. It's, uh, it's Dan Brigham. Dan, how, how are you doing? I hope we're not started too late for you tonight. <laughs> Actually, no, that's uh, all of that. What you've just said is is very accurate. Um, to be honest, since Friday, I've kind of been trying to forget about football, ignore it, <laughs> try and recover from it. But here I am yet again, talking about another Norwich City performance. But hopefully, because we were accused last week of being a bit too negative, And despite the fact we're probably in a more perilous position than we were this time last week, it, um, I'm all for the positives today. I'm going to try and search for positives out of the misery. Oh, I hadn't realised that there there'd been that accusation. Um, <laughs> I, I think I think we're going to struggle to win those people around this week, but we'll see what we can do. Obviously, um, and our second guest uh, is Norwich City fan, TV presenter, and journalist um, who really is therefore really being wasted on a week when we're not using the video format here. Although, as things stand, we can't actually see him. We can only hear him, but we can be assured that he's there. Hopefully, he will answer now from ITV Anglia. It's uh, it's Andy Ward. Andy, how are you doing? Just thought I'd make you sweat there. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm good, thank you. Yeah, I'm fine. Um, yeah, it's good good to see you again. Uh, just saying before the the call that it was just just such a depressing performance. So it's uh, it's taken a few days to get over it, but hopefully this will be therapeutic. So too. And by the way, yeah, as I, my face for a split second absolutely dropped there. Um, so so well done. Yeah, <laughs> good good for you, Andy. You've, uh, you've you've already got one over on me. Um, so yes, apologies uh, to those of you out there who uh, who like seeing us talk and doing it live. I'm assuming that there are any of you out there. Uh, we're just uh, on audio only for this week. Um, Michael should be back next week. Um, anyway, let's get on with it. Time for the headline act. So, yes, it was a chasing Friday night in Southampton for Norwich City. Uh, and you can add St Mary's to the list of uh, Premier League grounds, but we never seem to do well. Um, one win, two draws and 10 defeats in 13 games there. Um, and that, that one win was some time ago now. Um, che Adams and Oriol Romeo, um, for those who need reminding, scored in the last 10 minutes of each half and it finished a fairly resounding 2-0 to the Saints. And that defeat leaves Norwich City rock bottom not doing very well with the optimism early on here uh, of the Premier League and five points from safety with just 12 games to go um so not a great predicament Dan and um I think it's fair to say that we we got what we deserved there didn't we uh well I'm not sure we did because we managed to keep it to 2-0 <laughs> um but uh, yeah it's kind of it highlighted two things I think um 
with and crossover in these two things that a we can't play physically without Adam Eder. We can't play um, uh, kind of long ball football. We can't get it into the channels quickly without without Eder, which um, was a plan that was working against Watford and Everton. Um, so that plan has probably gone out of the window now. Although we may well talk about the fact they went. We did go with a diamond at uh, one point. We also highlighted if we can't go long, then we've got to control the ball in midfield, which we also failed to do, uh, unfortunately, on Friday. Um, we isolated Puki, we isolated Rashica and Sargent as well. They barely got a sniff. Um, they, you know, they ran their socks off. They worked really hard, but that midfield was not providing any outlet to our front three at all. But what I would say is that Dean Smith is, is a problem solver. We've seen that already. He's a good coach. He doesn't have a sort of set way of playing. He kind of molds his team to um, a formation he thinks works for them and a style of play that he thinks works for them. And without Adam Eder, I imagine we'll probably see against the sort of smaller teams, maybe a slightly different way of playing now and potentially a midfield that maybe has ball retention uh, at its core rather than um, sort of pace on the wings, which we did see a little bit when he may- finally made those changes as well with bringing on uh, two central midfielders to complement the already two central midfielders who are on the pitch uh, to create that diamond. So, yeah, it was, it was chastening, as you said, but I do have faith in Smith because he does have a plan B and a plan C to potentially kind of right those wrongs, hopefully. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll take an opportunity to talk about midfield and attack as, as we go on. Um, Andy, I, um, in, a, in a rare moment of researching, I thought I'd, I'd take a look at your Twitter uh, to, to kind of get your introduction right, which I hope I did. Um, and I, I scrolled down to see the words passive uh, and pathetic describing this problem just a choice of two words there so i'm yeah. just you said you wanted this to be therapeutic so i'm just gonna let I'm just gonna let you off the leash and and you can give us your thoughts yeah i need a, a third p don't i um but i can't think of one but it's it was just I th- i'd add depressing into that into that mix as well because it was just for, you can almost tell from the the minute the game kicks off that norwich were just going to let southampton have the ball and just dominate and and have no no response to that and there's no you know there's, there's nothing wrong with playing on the counter-attack, but that was to the extreme, really. It was just absolutely no threat going forward whatsoever. Um, it, was, it was, as I said, it was so predictable. Um, you know, it, I, I kind of felt before the game that for whatever reason, I just felt like Norwich weren't going to be up for it. And I, I think that's ridiculous in the, in the situation that they're in. But, it, you know, it's a Friday night, had all the hallmarks of a, a, another sort of timid Nor- Norwich display on, on national TV. And uh, it certainly didn't, didn't disappoint. It was it was rubbish to be honest, um, and it, it could have been uh, another thing that I I, I thought is, this could have been five years ago. This could have been an Alex Neal Norwich team, a, a Daniel Farker Norwich team. It's just whenever these guys put this yellow shirt on, they seem to seem to go into their shells, and and another. It's just so depressing seeing other teams around Norwich like uh, like you burn these getting these uh, getting these results, stringing some results together. And you just don't get the feeling that Norwich are capable of doing that. So. Um, yeah, really, really tough night, I thought, to be honest. I think you did throw a third P in there, actually. I think predictable found its way in, so there you go. Oh, perfect. <laughs> I don't know whether you meant that, but it worked there itself out. That's the one I was looking for. <laughs> um, I suppose my, it's not really a counter-argument, because I can't, I can't really deny that we were we were pretty bad on the day. Um, but Southampton are aside in really good form. Um, and I, I'm conscious that I don't make too many excuses for whether well, they're just a good side because I think that's that's the way that we end up where we are. But um, to me, 
they are a side who who make other teams look bad because they are so good off the ball. So they they make you struggle when you're on the ball. And we we don't kind of need any any more invitation to do that. And to me, it looked like a, a sort of mid-table team that was playing at eight out of ten against a team, you know, Dean Smith said in his post-match interview that there were too many six out of tens. And that was kind of what it felt like to me. So Dan, was is is there an element of of Southampton not allowing us to play well or were we mostly the architects of our own downfall do you think? Yeah Southampton are one of the best pressing sides in the division and they, when they go on these runs I mean they have two two settings don't they they either have relegation form setting or Champions League setting and then by the end of the season they're sat in the middle in, in mid-table because of that but they, yeah they press really well which makes a team like ours who are relatively careless on the ball um, at the moment and this wasn't just against Hampton we were careless on the ball against Watford despite the excellent win we were careless on the ball against Everton it's kind of a recurring theme in our midfield and when you are careless on the ball coming up against a team that presses right through the centre of the pitch gives our midfielders no time gives our centre-backs no time to play on the ball then you're, gonna, you're going to struggle and you would, you would expect a Southampton team in that kind of form to um, comfortably win at home against the bottom of the table team but I think what it from our point of view it really did highlight the fact that we need to improve how we are on the ball and how we get our front three when it's not a front four our front three into the game more and kind of create the kind of threat and chances we were creating with four up top um yeah i think and we'll see that against brentford and and leeds away coming up those are the massive tests for us a massive test for dean smith to see if you can get that team sort of clicking in midfield against against two teams that are very good on the ball, but also like to sit back and invite teams on as well. So we kind of need to get on the front foot and be able to keep the ball and attack rather than counter-attack. Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, those, those two games are massive and we will we will touch on those later in the, in the pod as well. Um, Andy, I, I, I see it quite often um, on, on Twitter over the last few weeks of um, Dean Smith, turning to his bench um, as if as if he didn't know who was on his bench and only seeing um, Shemi Poheta and Jonathan Rowe. Um, but it is a fair point to make, isn't it? That, you know, and I, th- I think there was some discussion on this last week, but there are just no options there. And okay, you can, I, I, you know, Dan's already made the point about Adam Ede, which is completely right. So he was massively missed, I think, on Friday. But We've only got one injury and yet we're totally depleted up front and there there is nothing to bring on. I mean, it, is is that is that bad luck or is that bad planning? What do you put that down to? Yeah, it's a bit of both, isn't it? But I, I do agree. I mean, there's no um there's just nothing to bring off the bench, is there? And having said that, I mean, I thought, you know, that maybe I'm clutching at straws here, but I think when Rip and Les Malou came on for that sort of for a 10 minute period after they came on, they started to, you know, actually recycle the ball quite well and Norwich did start passing a bit there. That was probably their best spell of the game. So I think them two made a difference. But, you know, there's no, there's no, no really attacking threats to, to bring off the bench. And we're also in a predicament now that if, heaven forbid, Pookie got injured or, or even Sargent, what on earth are they going to do in that situation? Because there is just no backup. And I think that's, that's poor, isn't it? I mean, you've got to, got to plan for that eventuality in January, I think. And I think you'll be hard-pressed to find a Norwich fan who would say that they didn't need attacking reinforcements in January and, and unfortunately they, they, they didn't go out and get them and I, I do think this this injury to Ida is probably the final final nail in the coffin. 
Mm. I mean, it, it definitely comes to Lucy when we're saying we absolutely can't afford to lose this guy who's scored in one Premier League game this season. <laughs> we we really would be bereft without him. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the way it is at the moment. Um, Dan, did you have anything to add on that? Yeah, I do wonder um, whether, and we touched on this, whether Smith will give the diamond another go. Because what, what we do have now with, with players back from injury is a lot of central midfielders, a lot of players who can play in central midfield. And to play a diamond, you need central midfielders, as we saw under Paul Lambert um, in the Premier League in 2010-11. And that would mean that you then have options for the two up top because you can play Pukki and Sargent. Rashid has played through the middle before in a two. Even Cholis has played through the middle in a, in a two before. Um, so what it does do, it means you kind of play into your strengths, which is maybe not the huge amount of quality in all of our midfield options, but we do have a lot of quantity in those midfield options. And it means you can change things up top as well. because it suddenly allows you to Puki to have a kind of a, a, a fellow striker with him, which he seemed to really enjoy when Ida was next to him um, in those uh, all too brief uh, months when they were playing um, four up top. So I do think, I do think that experiment's probably something they'll be working on in, in training. And it'd be nice, as uh, Andy said, when Lise Malou and Rup came on, we suddenly had people who were more careful with the ball and knew how to use it and knew how to play through the lines and join the dots with uh, between defence and, and attack. So I would not be surprised if we go down that route under Smith. You think it might be a diamond on well uh, Saturday or Wednesday or Saturday? Do you think we'll use that at some point this week? Yeah, I'm at, well, yeah, who knows what we'll do against Liverpool. We'll probably play nine at the back. Um, <laughs> would probably be a sensible way to go. But I think, yeah, in the Premier League, if we want to keep the ball a little bit better and play the two up top, then the, the diamond is the way to go. Or obviously three at the back as well. But we have injuries at centre-back now. Yes, so that's that would also be true. Difficult. Um, let's, let's talk about the midfield then, because um, it, it did seem to be the biggest issue. Um, and I think it came in for quite a lot of criticism um, after Friday night. Um, Andy, uh, what, what should that... Like, Let's say we do. Let's say we do go with three again. Who, who should be the three for you, and what, what's currently going wrong, and, and how can we put it right? Or can we put it right? That, that is a question, isn't it? Um, the three. I would. Well, Norman's Norman's obviously got to be in there, even though I have to say he had a, quite a poor game on on Friday. But I think part of that is him working his way back to fitness. He's he's clearly not one hundred percent fit. I mean, he can't complete ninety minutes for first and foremost, can he? So he's he's obviously trying to get back to his best. But I think he's he's the most complete midfielder Norwich have got. So I think he's an obvious one. And I, I would put Rip in there. Um, I think he does keep the ball better. And he, he's quite underrated in, in, that, in that respect. I think people don't realise that he does keep the ball very well. He, he did that in the Championship before he got injured. I don't know if you remember that. He uh, he looked very good at the start of, of last season. And I think Les, Les Malou was showing signs that he was he was kind of picking out a bit of form and then he's, he's come out the team again to make well make way for Gilmore and I think the two Scottish lads are the, the two lads I would I would drop out at the moment um, the way they're playing I mean Billy just I don't know I, I can't I can't figure out Billy because I'm sure he's going to be a brilliant player for Chelsea one day I really am I'm certain of it but is he the is he the right guy for a relegation bat and I think this season has proved that he's he's clearly not um, because he just looks it literally looks men against boys in that midfield engine room, I think, when he's playing. Um, and when, when you've got Kante and Kovacic around you and players like that, you're going to look far better. And I'm sure he will do. But 
I do not think he's the right man for, for Norwich at the moment. It's just how, just how I feel. I think you might be preaching to the choir here because, Dan, you've got <laughs> your, your heavy anti-Scottish agenda thing going on. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I, um, well, you know, I, I love Grant Hanley, love um, Haggis. <laughs> I love lots of things to do with Scotland. What, what I don't think right now is that you can play both Gilmore and Kenny McLean. I probably wouldn't play either of them, although I see uh, against the top sides the attraction of Kenny McLean because he, his work off the ball is generally very, very good. Uh, but against the sort of teams we're expected to compete against, then I don't think he offers enough on the ball um, to play against teams like Southampton or, or Brentford or Leeds, the, the games that we kind of look for must-wins from now on. Um, so I, I think another name to throw in who uh, had an unfortunately timed injury is uh, Sorensen, um, who is our one DM. So I'd, if it was a three again, I'd probably have him as your proper defensive midfielder and then free up Norman in a more of the kind of box-to-box role. And then either Rupp or Lise Malou next to them, who both Lise Malou and Rupp, are they definitely Premier League standard? I think they've probably shown enough to suggest they, they can be. And I thought Rupp was actually excellent in Dean Smith's first few games before his injury. And Smith's obviously a fan of his. Um, and I think they both of those players currently keep the ball better than Gilmore. Gilmore might have a kind of a slightly clever, more clever eye for a, in like great pass, but I don't think he's quite got the same stickability on the ball that uh, Lees Malou and uh, Rupp have. And that comes from both players having experience in top leagues in Europe, quite, you know, decent experience in top leagues in Europe. So I'd probably go Sernson, Norman and either Lees Malou or Rupp in games that we're expected to compete in, at least anyway. Was um, was Sernson, Sernson, was he fit? Uh, on Friday because he wasn't in the squad was he? but I thought he was back I, I, I didn't know that's yeah I'm not entirely sure he'd been trained I think he'd trained for a day or two hadn't he whether he was mm. fully fit or not I'm not sure and again none of the you know you're fitting none of these midfielders are absolute well beaters I think Norman could be um, and he is making his way back from injury and, he, and I thought he really grew into the game on uh, again, on Friday against a team that you know were pressing um, the midfield um, as much as they were and he was essentially playing a three-man midfield himself because McLean and Gilmore did go missing so I think you know Norman is a proper Premier League midfielder and then it's just working out what the best other two players are to and how that fits in together alongside him and I think someone who's a proper de- defensive midfielder and someone who's really careful on the ball and can move it um, you know a bit like Moritz Light they used to in the championship and Mario used to in the championship and that's Rupp or yeah, I mean, I, I I don't like to I don't particularly like kicking players when they're down. Um, so I haven't tweeted this, but Gilmore, our record with Gilmore this season is um, five points in the fifteen games that he started, as opposed to twelve and eleven when he hasn't. And obviously, there are myriad reasons for that that won't just be him, um, but it's fairly stark. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if he keeps his place uh, both in the FA Cup game and on the it's weekend. Really- so remember, um, was it Tom Carroll at Spurs who was really highly rated in that sort of role? Mm. And he re- he's reminding me of him a little bit. I think he probably could have done with a championship move this season. I think everyone will probably agree with that. To play in a in a Bournemouth or a Fulham probably would have done him much power, much uh, the power of good rather than in a struggling Premier League team. Tom Carroll's at Ipswich now, so that just shows Is how drastically things can go wrong. <laughs> oh well, <laughs> yeah. so well, maybe okay. Billy's doing all right. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I was, I was, I was going to add that um, you know the Southampton midfield was fantastic though in, mm. in comparison, like Romeo Ward Prowse, and um, I thought Stuart Armstrong was fantastic as well. Mm. And I think that just shows the level 
that as you said Dan that they're a mid-table team so you know that's that that's a mid-table Premier League midfield and and that's uh that's just how far off Norwich are at the moment because they whichever combination we just discussed there is nowhere near that quality is it and uh I thought they were brilliant yeah they, they don't seem to have any any stars do they Southampton not not really but um they're obviously a very well coached team I actually thought they were really excellent in the first half at Carrow Road mm-hmm. and unlucky to lose that game um, as you say, Dan, it's, it's a case of catching on at the right time, which I, I don't think we did. But um, yeah, the, the two in the middle uh, are just uh, complement each other so, so well. And um, and then the, the, the two wide players aren't really wide players. Are they? It's, it's a little bit like what Ranić seems to be trying to implement at Manchester United without much success. But that's what four, really got it two, down. two, two they play, isn't it? Yeah, that's with it. Wing back, with the fullbacks bombing on. Mm. And they all seem to completely buy into it as well. Um, so not a great weekend all in all with our defeat and other uh, results. Not really going north. This is where I'm kind of a believer that that you know it'll only make a difference as long as as long as we get the points that we need to anyway. But um, is it slipping away from us? Uh, five points now, and obviously games in hand for other teams. Um, Andy, do you, do you kind of see us having much of a chance, or does it really come down to the next two or three weeks for you? Well, honestly, uh, no, I don't. I don't think they've got a prayer. Um, I think the, the last, the last chance is obviously they need six points from these next two. I think that goes without saying. Certainly need to beat Brentford, who are in dreadful form, aren't they? I think they've lost seven, seven of the last eight, something, something like that. Um, so they're they're really on the decline. And Norwich, they've got to take advantage of that. That is that is must win, which in itself um, is quite nerve wracking, isn't it? Because uh, you just don't know if Norwich are going to deliver in that situation, but they're going to have to keep themselves in it um, and now Leeds have got a new manager that, that might change things we don't know um, but that you've got to get six from that but it's if we're being honest it's it's looking like a long shot isn't it um, because it's effectively six points isn't it with that awful goal difference um, so, so yeah and and as, as I said earlier this run that Burnley are putting together but Burnley are an interesting team I mean they, they always had those games in hand and you always kind of felt they were a little bit in a false position um, but they're they're they're, sorry, they're starting to really show what they're they're made of now. And, and Watford, you just feel like they're capable of getting a few results under Hodgson as well. So I just I just can't see Norwich finishing above three teams. I just can't see it. But I hope I'm wrong. Um, Dan, any any arguments to the contrary from you? Um, no, that's summed up pretty well, isn't it? I think. But funny things happen in two wins against Brentford and Leeds. Oh, three wins if you and a quarter-final appearance in the FA Cup. Um, and also, let's not forget, actually, between Brentford and Leeds, we'll probably have to play Chelsea as well because of the rearranged fixture, which we'll probably talk about later. Um, but to win those two games, and you are backing it, because what we're probably relying on now is sucking Leeds and Brentford into the relegation zone. They're both on terrible runs of form. I think since Smith came in, they're both below us in the form table as well. Well, they certainly were before we lost to Southampton um, and they both lost at the weekend. So they must still be below us. And we've got that in our hands now. We've got that. Um, we can inflict th- that blow on them. What I would say after Smith seems to galvanize players. And he, after that horrendous December we had when we were hit by COVID and injuries, no one saw those two wins against Everton and Watford coming on the bounce. Um, so a repeat of that galvanizing the players, hope we don't get, um, smashed on Wednesday against uh, Liverpool. And I can see too, you know, we are a better team than Brentford. We should be a better team. We have got a better squad and a better first 11 than Brentford. 
And I'm not sure whether it leaves are with their injuries, but if Calvin Phillips is missing, then we've got a, our midfield is equally a sort of hit and miss as Leeds as well. They've got Rafinho, a better player than we've got. Uh, but overall, they're, they're not streets ahead. We should absolutely be going to Ellen Road expecting to put in a good performance and potentially get, you know, three points from that. So, but we are really relying on winning those two games. If if we don't, then yeah, that might be season over, unfortunately. And I think, I think as, as poor as it was on Friday, I could still point you towards at least three or four games under Daniel Farker this season that were worse. So I think, I think we've Absolutely. come back from worse. Um, just a quick line before we move on about uh, Angus Gunn made seven saves. Was the only, kind of the only real surprise in the starting lineup, given that Tim Krul was fit enough to make the bench, made seven saves. That's the most of any goalkeeper, uh, Norwich City goalkeeper in a game this season. Um, most of them were straight at him, to be fair. But then um, he was being questioned on a podcast not a million miles away from here last week for not saving an overhead kick from five yards away so let's give some oh, yeah. credit where it's yeah. due uh, to Angus um, yeah. sorry go on dad and you've, you've got to be in the right position to make those saves as well that's exactly it isn't it and uh, right place right time um, so I think we've pretty much covered Southampton um, so uh, I hope we were we weren't too negative uh, for everyone uh, I don't know if it's about to get a lot more positive because we'll move it on now to pick that one out Yep, so it's pick that one out. The the chance for our panellists to uh, offload some of their worries in the uh, proverbial psychiatrist couch. Uh, the only catch being that they only have 30 seconds in which to do it, at which point they'll be buzzed out. Um, as usual, I do not have the facilities for a buzzer on my phone, or at least I haven't planned that far ahead. So um, could I have some kind of buzzword to shout out when the 30 seconds are up, please? Literally anything will do. <laughs> How about uh, let's go for fantasy football? Fantasy football. Thank you very much. So uh, if you hadn't guessed, I give the panellists no word of warning that I'm about to ask for that. <laughs> so literally putting them on the spot. Um, okay, Dan, do you want to go first? Yes, can do, Steve. Right, okay. Your 30 seconds start now. So this is to bemoan the Premier League based on the fact that a Rary's niche era has come to an end with Bielsa's sacking at Leeds, which means the three managers from the 1819 championship season that were involved in one of the great title races of all time, Chris Wilder at Sheffield United, Bielsa at Leeds and Daniel Farker at um, Norwich City, are now no longer part of their club. And it, it says a lot that three really bright, good managers who managed three great sides in the championship, neither of them managed to last two seasons in the Premier League. And that says... As much as they made Fantasy mistakes themselves, to see football. As much, but, can I just finish? Yeah, as much yeah, as they on. made, <laughs> as much as they made their own mistakes, um, it says a lot about the disparity between the top of the Premier League and the bottom of the Premier League that those three excellent managers uh, didn't last two full seasons in the Premier League. Yeah, agreed. It is the loosest application of the thirty-second rule going. I think this, but you're absolutely right. I was, I don't know about you guys. I was genuinely quite saddened that Bielsa got sacked. Like in a way that I'm never am about other managers. I, I was genuinely quite just disappointed that it didn't work out for him well, in the long Yeah. Way. Well, I hate to say this because it's, it's Leeds, but of all the Premier League teams that were on the telly, if they were on TV, I would probably happily watch them because they were chaotic and you never quite knew what was going to happen. They'd either score four or let in six. So yeah, I, I think he's a, he's a miss to the Premier League. He'll be, he'll be missed. Yeah, and and also just the, he he stuck to his principles, and he was a principal, and it didn't kind of almost didn't matter if they were going to go down. It seemed like, but 
even there, you know, I, it was interesting to see Richard Keys and Andy Gray say with kind of no sense of, you know, no, no parody here at all. Uh, get Big Sam in, he'll keep them up. <laughs> so, that worked last season, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Um, anyway, what else would you, you expect them to say? I'll tell you what, Farker, Bielsa and Wilder did that season. It stopped teams just going for McCarthy or uh, Warnock or yeah. Allardyce to save their seasons or to get them up from the championship because it proves to other championship sides uh, you can play really good football and get promoted. And we've seen that since that eighteen nineteen season. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. You know, when you compare it to the, the three that went up last year, I think the, that title race they, they were three excellent excellent teams mm. weren't they just a shame that it hasn't worked out long long term but it's such the fickle nature of football as you say Dan um, Andy have you uh, have you got a rant ready well it doesn't have to be a rant but have you got some form of words ready yeah we'll give it a go yeah. right your time starts now yeah so my rant is yeah managers trying to be clever and I'm talking about Thomas Tuchel here uh, in the league cup yesterday he's got a great keeper in in uh, Mendy you know, he's literally just been involved in the penalty shootout for Senegal and he's won that penalty shootout and then he takes him off and he puts on a keeper who refused to come off in the, the League Cup final a few years ago. Well, he should have re- refused to come on this time because he was hopeless. You know, he didn't get near any of, the, any of the penalties and then he misses it. So actually, I think Chelsea and Kepa got what they deserved, really, and that's, uh, that's absolutely nothing. So, uh, yeah, good, good riddance. Fantasy football. Very nice. Oh, what a nice way to finish. Good riddance. That is, that's some payoff there. You can tell Andy's a broadcaster, can't you? Got right <laughs> yeah. here, right on 30 seconds. Puts the rest of us to shame. Yeah, I was trying to think of like a comparable Norwich City performances. Is it possible to do worse than come off the bench, literally save <laughs> none of the 11 penalties you face and then sky the one you have to take into the stand? Right. I don't know. That is a shocker though, isn't it? When you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> You know, literally, he didn't save one of them, did he? It was just amazing. <laughs> it's kind of the uh, anti-Tim Krull, isn't it, for Netherlands yeah. and the World yeah. Cup? Which, you know, if you roll the dice, then you'll look like a genius like Van Howell or you'll look like a bit of an idiot like uh, Tuchel. I'm surprised but, I rate I rate Tuchel as a manager as well. I was really surprised that he, he did it. It just made no sense. And especially because, ben, you know, Mendy's been playing for, you know, 120 minutes. He's completely warmed up and ready to go it's a very very weird thing to do so so just to check then Andy let's let's say that Angus keeps his place uh yeah. for Wednesday night and we by some miracle take <laughs> Liverpool to penalties you're, you're not bringing on Tim Krul at that oh, point that is, that's a tough Angus one the difference is that Krul's got Krul's got previous though isn't he as, as Dan mentioned in the World Cup no I bring on Krul and uh, <laughs> Smith, 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 Smith would then look Smith would then look like a genius and I'd say that you know, that's the, completely the right call. Well, you, I, I, to be honest, I think you should have stopped at good riddance. because <laughs> also, also, Krull has previous at the same stage of the FA Cup. He does. Yes, that's well. true. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, Dan may have just bailed you out there, Andy, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, speaking of the FA Cup, um, that will have a bearing on the Chelsea fixture, as we've uh, kind of alluded to already. So that will... Norwich City's home game in the Premier League against Chelsea will move to Thursday the 10th of March if either Norwich City get through against Liverpool or as is maybe more likely Chelsea get through against Luton. Um, I mean, abysmal. Just, just I mean, I, I, I can't really... Uh, it's just annoying, isn't it? I, I don't understand what why it has to be 
so close, but I suppose we are in fixture congestion time, aren't we? So yeah, maybe uh, that's we all, why. Yeah, we all knew that it was, you know, this is when the court, that's when the quarterfinals of uh, sort of fifth round of the FA Cup would be played. So we knew that that could happen. But what usually happens is surely those, that rearranged game that makes way for the FA Cup is later in the season. It's not just brought forward. I mm-hmm. can't, um, maybe it's because we never ever really get this deep in the competition uh, that I can't, I don't, I don't remember that happening before. And also, we don't know when we're playing Leicester yet, do we? The rearranged fixture, the Leicester City away, which I assume must be dependent on whether we get through in the FA Cup or not as well. But yeah, I just feel sorry for anyone who doesn't live in Norwich and has to travel to that Chelsea game on a Thursday. Yeah, and of course, that follows the Leeds game being moved to Sunday. Absolutely no notice as well. Um, yeah, I just felt like, obviously, Norwich were going to, and good on them for sort of going against it, but... It just seemed so futile them saying, well, we're really not very happy about this as though, you know, it just feels like they're kind of, um, I suppose, into the wind, to use a phrase that will probably be bleeped out. Um, so, yes, um, add that one to your diaries. Um, what it does mean is that I, I think for the 100th episode spectacular, for which I still don't know if we have any plans, there'll be two games to talk about. So maybe they were thinking of this podcast all along. Um and then a couple of other things, just to quickly add, is that um, I think the under-23s game is maybe being played during last week's pod. Um, and poor Christos Scholles uh, did turn out and um, had a bit of a shock of a miss. Um, I'm hoping that that football at least will see him come back to some sort of form. Um, and finally, obviously, I mean, he, I would get, guess won't be listening to this, but Daniel Farker, obviously, um, currently in Krasnodar, uh, uh, which is right on the Crimean border. So uh, our, our best wishes to him. And obviously all of this pales into insignificance compared to what's going on elsewhere in the world. But hopefully uh, it's it's at least been a bit of escapism uh, for the last half an hour or so. Right. Um, I think that we can probably crack on um, and we can look to the week ahead. Uh, we've got an FA Cup game to talk about and a Premier League game to talk about. So uh, let's get on to this is almost like fantasy football. This is almost fantasy football. So, yes, Norwich City go back to Anfield on Wednesday, 11 days after going there in the league. They'll be playing in the FA Cup fifth round. And then what feels like a huge game against uh, Brentford, as we've already touched on, as they come to Carrow Road on Saturday, uh, reigniting with the great rivalries of our time, uh, Michael Bailey versus Thomas Frank. Um, I think that might be a slightly one-way rivalry, but um, you know, it'll, it'll be nice for them to be reacquainted if they do get reacquainted, nonetheless. Um, let's do Liverpool first, though. Um, any chance for an upset, Dan? Any chance of um, a kind of recreation of the Spurs game two years ago? Sure, why not? Yep, we, we can do that. Don't see why not. I mean, I've, um, I've already said on this podcast I'd rather we win the FA Cup than stay up. Um, obviously, I'd rather both happen, but... Um, it's all about the glory. It's uh, we're playing a little, you know, one of the best teams in the world. But hopefully, they've had a few too many celebrations post League Cup final. Um, hopefully, they won't play maybe their full strength squad, and uh, we put in a resolute, slightly lucky performance. I mean, I get we played well at Anfield in the three-one defeat. What didn't go for us is that they took some of their chances. So what we need to do is put in another really resolute, committed performance, and hope this time they've not got their shooting boots on. But yeah, I mean, there have been bigger shocks in the FA, shocks in the FA Cup before. Um, I think it's an opportunity for the players to kind of bounce back as well uh, from the defeat on Friday night. Maybe an opportunity for the uh, players like Lisa Malou and, and Rupp and whoever gets brought in to show that they deserve to be starting in the Premier League as well. So, yeah, I, yeah, I think we've got a good chance. No, 
I'm going to retract that. I think we've got a decent chance. <laughs> That's the optimism that the I people I can't want. be too positive about it. We are going away to a quite a good side. Yeah, and there was a part of me watching the game yesterday that thought, oh, if this goes two hours, they're going to be really tired for Wednesday. And I thought, yeah, but it's Liverpool, isn't it? And uh, <laughs> they do still have some pretty good players in, in reserve. By contrast, Andy, and obviously we've already touched on this, like, what do you do? I mean, we, we don't really have that much, that many attacking options to, to call on that aren't already starting. Um, but then would we want to rest the front three or what? what what would you do? I'm, I'm just bailing on this one and I'm going to put it over to you. Who's the front three that you're playing? Oh my God. Um, I honestly don't know because it's such a tough predicament, isn't it? Because it, if Norwich could pull off a shot, then it does have the potential to give them a massive lift going into this game against Brentford. But I, I, I get the counter argument as well that say Rashica goes down five minutes into the game and then you're, you're really in trouble, aren't you? So um, I... I'd be tempted to put a strong team out and just try desperately to, to get some momentum, especially, you know, hopefully Norwich will have a decent following up there. Fans wise, you, you don't want to go up there and, and get hammered, do you? So I, w- I would put a decent team out and see if they could, see if they could somehow pull off a shock that could ignite some life into their season because they need it from somewhere. Don't know after these, these three results and the, I, I get the Man City and Liverpool ones are, are very tough games and Southampton as we talked about as well, but, this this could just get them going. So um, I would I put a, a strong team out with some changes at the back, maybe um, if, you know people like your back and, and Zimmerman are run out potentially. But I think I think the the front three, if that's what they're going to go, um, unless they go the diamond, as Dan said, um, I don't think they've got many other options, have they? Unless they bring Jollis out from the, the cold, <laughs> or they could just go with Dan's other suggestion and just go nine at the back, and that would solve having to play the attacking players. I'd them. probably go ten, but um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, nine out of the back maybe a bit too attacking at Anfield. Yeah. <laughs> is Quebec fit? I'm never. He's he's played for 23s, hasn't he? So I guess yeah. he's fit. So I wonder I if so. we'll, we'll see him or Zimmerman or both um, on Wednesday. Yeah, I, mean, I guess you got players like Yunulis, haven't you? you? Could slot in at left back. Byram as well. Yeah, yeah. So I yeah. think I think defensively they, they they can make changes. As, as we said, it's um it's the top end of the pitch because they've literally got no players, have they? I mean, who who is going to play up front? That's that's the one I can't work out. Well, yeah, I mean, if, if it's not Pookie, then it has to be Sargent. Who is it? Yeah, it is Sargent. Isn't yeah. it? it would have to be. They'd have I mean, to go Wajeta, wouldn't they, on, on, the, on the wing? I never never thought I would say this, but I I do struggle to see the logic in sending Jordan Hugel out on loan. Not that I ever would necessarily think that he's going to change. You know, he's not a game changer. He's probably not of the required level, but at least he gives you something. At le- you know, at least he gives you an attacking option. And... Maybe maybe they've just decided that he's not good enough, but it's, some, it's someone to throw on in a game like this where you just need a body there. Um, I do agree. He'd be, useful in this, he'd be useful in this situation, wouldn't he? Um, yeah. You know, he's, he's not Premier League quality. He never will be, but oh, Norwich. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he, probably, he probably suits them. But um, no, seriously, in all seriousness, he, he would be a handy player for a situation like this. Um, just to as you said, chuck another body up there and see if he can rough up Van Dijk, whoever is going to play up there. You know, it's, um, and he's apparently he's a really good character in the dressing room, which is another thing I don't think you can underestimate. They lost a lot of characters in the summer. And if we're looking at recruitment, did they go too far the other way this time, getting rid of players like Hernandez, Steeperman, Rancic, all these, all these big lads in the, in the dressing room. I don't know. Well, that's, why, that's why I think Cruel absolutely come back in 
I think he was mm-hmm. only didn't play on Friday because he only trained for two days. I think he was. He'll he'll come in because we kind of need that experience. We need that character um, out there that he brings. So I think he'll definitely come back in. I wonder if we'll you'll know this, Steve. Um, it, has Johnny Rowe started for us yet? Will it would it be his first start if he plays against Liverpool? I don't like it when you say you'll know this. I don't think he has. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure <laughs> yeah. that he's only made some appearances. So, hey, it will be a heck of a game to chuck him into. But why not? If he's good enough, then uh, he'll be able to cope yeah. with it, I suppose. I mean, he's uh, clearly ahead of Cholis and he seems he's, he was brought on ahead of Pajeta, um against Man City, maybe, or against Liverpool in the last game. So Dean Smith obviously sees, sees what he's like. Uh, um, and one thing about that, actually, about Rowe is... We talked a lot about and how great uh, Farker was at bringing through youth and giving him an opportunity. Well, you know, Smith has given Rowe an opportunity. He's seen what he's like. It's someone that a lot of fans won't, wouldn't have heard of at the start of this season, and yet he's found himself ahead of the head of likes of Cholis and head of Pajeta as well. Um, so I think we've got to give Dean Smith a lot of credit for that. Yeah, there's obviously something there. And uh, obviously if Tim Krull does start, then that will save Andy from his uh, difficult predicament of having to, to bring him on. Uh, if the situation arises um, we've already touched on the 8.15 kickoff and what a, what a disgrace that was um, and obviously we keep Michael in our thoughts as well with that late finish that he bemoaned last week so uh, we'll we'll do a small prayer for Michael too <laughs> uh, it's, it's the journalists that have it toughest I always say that um, so uh, let's let's just quickly touch on Saturday as well because that is a big one um, and feels like a proper sort of old-fashioned nervy six-pointer. Like, I think, and Andy, you said it before. We've kind of got to win this one, right? And um, do you know, what? I I love games like this. Like the nerves going into them is horrible for the ninety minutes, but the the anticipation is great. And if we, if we can come out with a win, whatever else happens this season, it will feel it will feel good. Yeah, definitely. And and actually, what Norwich are fighting for on Saturday is to have more games like this further down the line. Because as I said earlier, if they lose this, then the rest of the season is kind of going to just peter out. I would, I would imagine. You know, it, I, I might be wrong, and all these teams might go into a disastrous run and not not win any more games. But the likelihood is that they are going to all pick up points at some point. So Norwich, Norwich really need to grasp this opportunity. They need to, they need to win this, and I'm sure they will know that. Um, and as I said earlier, that's why that's why the team selection against Liverpool is going to be very interesting to see what Smith is going to prioritise, but. Can they have both? Can they can they somehow pull off this cup upset and then uh, beat Brentford on Saturday as well? That'd be that'd be great, wouldn't it? Yeah, it'd be nice to get some momentum going. Um, yeah, we've we've talked about Brentford's dodgy rundown, um, but got to presume that they will go into this one with maybe Tony and Ericsson starting. So that's a that's a different look Brentford to have to cope with. Is that a possible concern? Yeah, I mean. And first, it's great to see Ericsson back, of course. Um, for in, in football, that's a wonderful story. Um, and they've clearly missed Tony. They've clearly missed sort of a presence in midfield as well. Um, I'm not sure where Christian Ericsson's sort of fitness levels are, whether he'll be able to start a game yet. You'd assume Tony would. Uh, was it De Silva that was sent off for them at the weekend as well, which obviously opens up an attacking option for Tony to walk straight in as well. But... After, you know, they bounced into the Premier League much like we did, say, under um, Paul Lambert and Alex Neil, but they've absolutely turned into the Norwich under Alex Neil in the Premier League since uh, December. They're leaking goals. They, are, they do score. They score plenty of goals. 
um, but they are leaking them. They're not controlling midfield like they used to at the start of the season. Teams have essentially w- worked them out. And I think that kind of um, spring in your step you get when you're first in the Premier League for the you know first time in 30 years or whatever it was in the top tier of the uh, football league, that's inevitably going to lead to that kind of good start. A bit like Blackpool did under Ian Holloway sort of what, 15, 20 years ago and they ended up um, getting uh, relegated, that wore off. Uh, same with Hull City as well. Um, it wears off. And if you haven't got the squad, um, which they don't have, then it makes it really difficult to kind of wrestle that momentum away, which is why it's such an enormous game. And if we do win that, then suddenly you go to Ellen Road with a bit of confidence, unless you've been hammered by Chelsea, but let's pretend that won't happen. <laughs> um, you go to Ellen Road with a bit of confidence, and then suddenly on the horizon you've got um, an away game against Brighton, who are on iffy run of form and have been essentially since their really great start. Um, and then you've got Newcastle at home as well. So if you win this game against Brent Brentford, then there is a, a light at the end of the tunnel. There are winnable games after this one, but these winnable games now have to be, absolutely have to be won. Obvious glib thing to say, but they absolutely have to be won in it. And um, it has to start on Saturday. Uh, and I suppose key question, will it start on Saturday? To either of you? Yes. Yeah, I think yeah. it will. Yeah, I do. I, I generally do. I think this is, for once the fixtures have actually worked out well here and I think it's the best time you could play Brentford, isn't it? You, you, don't, want, you don't want to play them at the start of the season where, as Dan said, they had a, a spring in their step. But, but at the moment, they, they are really struggling. And uh, you've got to be beating teams like Brentford at home. You have to if you've got any chance of, of staying up. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think they'll win. Yeah, I do. And, you know, against Watford, which was another similar game, a sort of a must-win game against a relegation rival, um, we turned up then, you know, apart from 20 minutes after Sernson went off when we were dreadful, apart from, you know, first 15 minutes, we were really combative. We got stuck in and we looked like a team that believed they could win those sort of uh, six-point scraps and that needs to happen again against Brentford. They may play better football than us now, but we we do have better players than Brentford as a, as a squad. We don't obviously have the star quality of one of the best footballers in the world in Christian Eriksen, but we do have a better squad than Brentford. And I'm sure Dean Smith remi- will be reminding the players of that this week. Yeah, I think we're still unbeaten. I mean, this is really kind of clutching at straws, but I think under Smith, we've not lost to anyone outside the top 12. So against the bottom eight, we're still unbeaten, which again is is. Well, it's a small win, uh, but it does at least show that we're competing against the sides around us, which I don't really think we did under Farker two years ago. So, yeah, let's make it a hat trick. I think we'll, uh, I think we'll win as well. And, um, and also those home defeats against Watford and Leeds this season, we can't do another one. We can't have no. three dreadful home defeats against relegation rivals. So, yeah, I, I think, I think we'll do it. Yeah, I think as uh, as Andy said. If we can't beat Brentford at home with the run they're on, then we, we probably don't deserve to stay off anyway. Um, and on that note, that's probably all we've got time for for today's On the Ball, uh, the Norwich City podcast that's ready for another marathon penalty shootout. So if you haven't already, then uh, make sure you do subscribe to On the Ball via podcast player of choice. It's available free on your usual player. Uh, and we will be streaming the recording of the podcast live in video uh, on Michael's social media channels from next week. Just not this week. Uh, just search Michael Bailey Norwich City on your preferred social media platform and hopefully it'll show up. It will show up. Um, ratings and reviews wherever prompted are always hugely appreciated. And if you want to get in touch with any questions or topic proposals, just send Michael a direct message on Twitter. He is at Michael J. Bailey. So a big thank you to our guests tonight, Dan. Thanks very much. Thanks, Steve. Enjoyed that. Likewise. And Andy, great to see you again. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we'll be back next week with a fully refreshed Michael and two more games to talk about. And hopefully 
among them at least one win. See you on the other side. Thanks. Right then, we've uh, we've made it. We've made it to its end, guys. There we go. It's uh, we're we're here for another week. Uh, happy, happy with how that all went. I felt like I felt like it was an upbeat finish after a after a fairly downbeat start. Yeah, I think probably as upbeat as you can be when you know you're bottom of the table and you've just lost to Southampton, <laughs> lost three on the bounce. Yeah, I mean, and Andy. Given yeah. given your general demeanour before we came on <laughs> before we came on air, I thought you uh, <laughs> thought you held it together nicely. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I was worried I'd, I'd gone a bit too negative there, but it was uh, it's just taken a while to get it out of the system, and I think I think I feel better now. So yeah, looking look, looking more uh, looking more positive. Yeah, for the for the record, we can now see Andy, and it does help to be able to see Andy. Doesn't <laughs> he looks a lot? I'm going to say you look a lot more upbeat than you sound, which sounds like a diss, but it's it's not meant in that way. Um, so now that we've got off to a great start to Witsend, I ought to introduce Witsend. So hello and welcome to Witsend, and uh, all the Twitters out there. This is the uh, finale to the podcast that has no rhyme or reason, uh, and as will become fairly apparent, no script either. So this is the section where anything and everything goes. Um, although obviously we'd like to have some form of Norwich City theme, uh, and it's a section where you can join in too, and you can do that by sending us your suggestions for topics to discuss. Uh, either by emailing twitterkers t-w-i-t-t-e-r-k-e-r-s at icloud.com or using the hashtag twitterkers same spelling on twitter just don't explain what it's all about um so last week michael just went dan like that expecting <laughs> you to have something so, so i don't know it's if i about... should also go dan uh well one little thing that did crop up when we were talking about christian erickson is i was going to say at the time but it was sort of a more even more of a tangent than I normally go on is um, imagine I'm not quite this old at all. Uh, I imagine it's probably like when we signed Martin Peters uh, in the late seventies, world cup winner suddenly at Norwich city um, at a decent age still as well um, playing for us in midfield or when we signed uh, Martin O'Neill sort of, you know, European cup winner still in his, uh, still in his twenties playing midfield. So football uh, nerdy question, but who of any midfielder in the in the world right now would you want to uh, come in and replace uh, Billy Gilmore or Kenny McLean in that in that three man midfield? Um, that's a very good question, Andy. Have you got any any nominations for that? Because I'm trying to think off the top sure. of my head, any midfielder. Oof. Well, Billy Gilmore seems untouchable, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. He, I'm not sure he would drop out. Um, yeah, what you're saying is if we signed like Jorginho <laughs> from Chelsea instead, we'd still be starting uh, Gilmore <laughs> would, every yeah. week. If, if Hodgie <laughs> was on, he'd say, no, I'll, I'll just keep Gilmore. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> literally, no no one can improve on him. <laughs> I think um, I'll tell you who is good. Bernardo Silva. I thought he was unbelievable um, in the, the recent game at, at Carrow Road. I, I didn't actually realise quite how, how good he, he was until I saw him in the flesh. It's, it's, it's quite interesting, that debate. You know, would you rather have Bernardo Silva or David Silva? And it'd be a nice question for a team like Norwich to have, wouldn't it? But um, <laughs> he's, a, he's a tough player. He's, he's a brilliant player, actually. A very, very good technical player. I think anyone in that Man, Man City midfield is just incredible. Um, and Rodri, my God, or Fernandino, we could absolutely, you know, we, oh, haven't, yeah. signed a, we haven't signed a yeah. defensive midfielder. What we need is a proper defensive midfielder. Then 
I'd yeah happily take Rodri or Fernandino or or maybe Kante as well. He's you know probably getting yeah. a little bit now. I'll take him. Might yeah. fancy a new challenge. <laughs> we, we need like a real. Bu- in there don't we we haven't got enough of them and I, I would worry with the Man City midfield if you, if, you, if you take them out of that system because they are so coached you know they're coached down to the the every single atom in their body by Guardiola if you take Guardiola out of that that they're, they're not the same player so I think right. I mean <laughs> I, 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 I am very much I know beggars can't be choosers here I'm sure if Bernardo Silva or De Bruyne <laughs> or Gundogan turned up they would still get in our midfield uh, but I think I would go for I think I would go for a Kante I'm such a huge fan or maybe just Ollie Skip just getting back yeah know. I mean let, let's face it any of Man City centre-backs would probably get in our midfield <laughs> or Edison that, probably would. <laughs> yeah which is more reflective of the ridiculous amount of money they have than reflective of Norwich City I would say <laughs> but I'd, I'd happily have John Stones in our midfield though it, that reminds me of a wild theory I had how about Kabakian defensive midfield for Norwich have they ever thought about trying in in there just I just thought of the sort of surging runs he makes from centre-back and you can do it in a slightly less destructive area there where if he loses <laughs> the ball it's, it's maybe not quite as quite as bad I don't know maybe it's worth a maybe it's worth a I, go I'd rather have him as your number 10 so he re- when he gives the ball away you really are quite <laughs> high up the pitch yes and, and also his main skill is just being able to drive from the edge of his own penalty area you know yeah. towards the centre circle and I feel if you play him too high up the pitch you, you take that away from him um, although maybe maybe playing him higher up means he could actually I don't know could, it could result in a goal one day um, looks like he's got a shot on him as, as yeah. this is wit's end by the way then you know let's lay down the, the path to bring back our greatest ever defensive midfielder Stephen Whittaker <laughs> uh, the side as well he only retired last season he's probably got he's probably got his legs still hasn't he <laughs> is that right Did he, is he he's retired is it, now he has retired, hasn't he? Or have I done him a disservice? I feel like as the custodians of Whitsend, we should we should probably he should have retired after that um, after that Brentford game. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. We've come full circle, haven't we? This yeah, is, we have, you know, yeah. whatever we do in centre midfield next Saturday, surely it can't be as memorably bad as that. <laughs> and apologies it, to, to the man himself. What it means is our right back has to be there. So Sam Byram, who did play in central midfield when he came on against Villa um, in December, he did come in there and and looked perfectly fine there. Then maybe throw a spanner in the works, get him in there. Yeah, I thought that was particularly cruel. Like, here's your first game back in two years. I mean, I know obviously we had no other choice at that time. (laughs) Go in a position you've never played before in your life, as far as I know. In probably the most demanding position on the football pitch as well. (laughs) Um, and I think he got booked within five minutes of, of coming on. Um, I'd be interested to know, like, I know we do have some older listeners and whether any of them remember Martin Peters joining the club and, and what that was like. Um, I mean, people love a bit of nostalgia, don't they? Was that the equivalent of Ericsson joining Brentford? It must have been kind of a big deal at the time and the kind of deal which we would never, ever do now. No, I mean, no, we absolutely couldn't. It'd be us, like us signing... Um... Um, well, um, I was going to say Calvin Phillips, but that's not that massive a deal. Is it? <laughs> Bernardo Silva, I guess. Yeah, I was just trying to think of a sort of a, an England defensive midfielder, but um, slightly past Declan Rice. Declan Rice. Yeah, Declan Rice. Yeah, you know, but obviously not past his or anywhere near his prime yet. But I, d- I don't know. Like, it like be a Lingard, like... like a Jesse Lingard or someone like that. But I, but I suppose Martin well, Peters was a World Cup winner, and Jesse Lingard <laughs> just has a, has a does a funny it, dance every now and then. So it's one of England's classiest ever players, wasn't he? <laughs> uh, Martin Peters. So yeah, I mean, yeah, it would be interesting to know actually people who were around at the time. 
I remember when I was um, putting when I worked for putting together the sort of official history of the club, doing some reading some reports from news, newspapers when we signed him, and it everyone was gobsmacked that he'd chosen to come to Norwich City to what he thought was going to end his career, but uh, and sort of remained one of the best midfielders in the in the top tier when he was with us as well. Um, so yeah, it must have been pretty ex- extraordinary when he turned up. I suppose the only comparable one, you know, and at a lower level, no disrespect, I guess was Huckabee, given that he obviously came here on loan first, but he had a big reputation and it felt like, (laughs) as ever when anyone with any reputation comes to Norwich City, you sort of think, why why have they come here? And it did feel a little bit like that. I had that a little bit with Leitner, actually, weirdly, because obviously Mm. he'd been at Dortmund and Lazio and here he was signing for a team who were what 13th in the championship at the time or something like that so that was the last time I kind of felt like we've signed someone above our station um, maybe you know another another season in the Premier League and who knows Leitner just you know <laughs> don't know what don't know what went wrong there I did see I did see after Friday's game there were a couple of um, we should bring back Tribal and Leitner <laughs> tweets uh, oh, I think and maybe I'd bring back Tribal to play at Ellen Road in a couple of weeks just after, from his memorable performance there in 1819 oh, when he absolutely ran that midfield. So maybe that's the answer to the original question. <laughs> <laughs> Which Tom midfielder Tribal. would we want? Yeah, Tom Tribal just for that, <laughs> for that one game to see if he can he can bring it back. Um, yeah, uh, well, we'll we'll see. Maybe maybe we won't need it, and maybe maybe. Billy and Kenny were the answers all along, but um, don't remind me of that in a few weeks' time if uh, <laughs> if it doesn't go the way that we hope. Um, speaking of Kenny, have we got Kenny other business uh, that that hasn't been brought up yet? Um, Andy, anything that you uh, that you wanted to mention? Mm, you put me on the spot here. Um, you can say no. Probably, I, I guess you would have talked about it last week. But what what is happening with Jollis? Like, where, where is this guy? Because he, he obviously played in the under-23s. Did he, I know the under-23s played tonight. Did he, did he feature in that? I, I don't know. Like, is, is he going to be involved in the, the squad for the Liverpool game? This is where having an actual in-the-know journalist <laughs> athletic reporter would be helpful, whereas I'm just going to sit here going, I have no idea. In all seriousness, I mean, do you, do you think that his career at Norwich is heading towards being over in the summer or, or not? Well, how, how do you see it playing out? Dean Smith said in the was it press conference before Man City that it's just it's now a confidence thing with Jolice. Sort of that ten million pound price tag's weighing heavily on him. Um, he hasn't had the start that he thought he was going to Premier League football. Adapting to a new country, adapting to playing in front of crowds for the first time in his career as well. Um, so it, yeah, it seems like it's a confidence thing, and you'd like to think that there was some talent there and there is some talent there because it wasn't just us that were in for him. So you'd like to think that if they can get his mind right and his uh, sort of mindset right and build that confidence back up by playing on a 23s football and hopefully not missing open goals uh, like he did in the last one, <laughs> then there is a player there. Um, whether whether he'll be able to cut his teeth in the uh, championship next season or the Premier League remains to be seen though. But Honestly, when you're spending 10 million quid on a player, you've got, they've got to work out when they're a Norwich City player. Yeah, yeah. they do. Um, unfortunately, any time we, we go over sort of £6 million, it seems like we've, we've signed a dud. We just can't help ourselves. Honestly, I think um, 
if any manager, well, maybe not if any manager, but I do sort of feel like Dean Smith, if he, if, we, if Dean Smith can't get it right, then I don't think, I, I think it was never meant to be. I sort of feel like he's got the kind of arm around the shoulder manager who will help him um, to regain that confidence. And if he can't, then it does seem like a lost cause. Would you rather have Jolis or Campwell at the start of next season, Andy, if you had to have one in the squad playing regularly? Oh, God, that's tough. Um, wow, that is a really tough question because I'm just sort of to and fro in here because as, as we talked about, you know, we spent a lot of money on Jollis. So there is the expectation that he will come good and maybe being in the second tier is, is what he needs. Maybe it's a season of being in a winning team that, that could just do wonders for his confidence. But Campbell has done, has done it in the second tier before, hasn't he? And apparently he's, he's earning rave reviews at, at Bournemouth at the moment. So it's a, it's a really, really tough one, isn't it? I'd probably go with Jollis just because of that, that, uh, that, that point we talked about earlier, that it is a lot of money and he must have something about him. He must do. And in, in those early performances in the, in the League Cup, etc., against Bournemouth, ironically, he was fantastic. He looked really forward-thinking, really direct. So I think once he regains that confidence, there must be a player in there. And I, I think it could be quite exciting in the in the championship if he's if he's given that opportunity but I suspect he'll probably be loaned out won't he that's what tends to happen with the the, the record signings like Ricky Van Walsinkle all over again <laughs> you may have hit the nail on the head there same question Dan Todd or Christos yeah I think it, it's the, always the excitement of the unknown I would pick I'd say when it comes to football and Cholis remains an unknown to us so getting to see sort of what he can do and getting to know him as a character and getting to know uh, what sort of footballer he is, then yeah, I'd choose that. It feels like we've we've done the Todd Cantwell story. Although on him, actually, it's interesting to see he's playing in Bournemouth's 4-3-3 and in the three-man midfield, mm. which I think we've said on this podcast earlier in the season, it'd be interesting to see if he fitted into that because he'd never really played in that position for us, sort of behind the front three, which means he can get away a little bit without... Uh, with his lack of pace as well in that three-man. And if Dow's played in that three, which he has... And if Gilmore has, then there's probably no reason why we couldn't have tried Cantwell in there. I mean, Farker and Dean Smith will have very good reasons, I'm sure, but there's no reason I, I can't see why someone of uh, Cantwell's technique couldn't have played in that three. So maybe we can fit them both in the same team next year. Jollis on the left wing and Cantwell in, in the middle, um, <laughs> in the Premier League, obviously. Um, right, well, I think that that probably is uh, all we've got time for. So uh, we'll just say do the goodbyes again Dan thanks very much thanks again Steve <laughs> welcome and Andy thank you again thanks Steve right I'll see you soon thank, thanks for having me it's been great thank you guys um, and uh, the great thing about this is that I get to uh, have a second go at saying goodbye without fluffing it up so thank you very much for listening and we will see you next week <laughs>